Well, hey, good morning, Fairdale. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. I like the energy I heard from over on this side of the room. This side was a little lacking, but anyways. But, well, hey, uh, we're so excited that you're here. My name is Brandon. I'm the student minister here at Fairdale, and so um, I'm just pumped to be here with you. And one of the things I want to get on your radar to kind of add to what you saw in the video, if you have a student who's 6th grade through 12th grade, I want to invite you on November 21st to a dinner to hear more about our student ministry. Um, it's going to be on Sunday nights. I'm going to feed you. And even if you have a student in fifth grade getting moved into sixth grade next year, I invite you to come. You'll get some more information about that. But November 21st, we're going to talk about um, why we do our youth ministry, what's coming up. And then I want to give you the next year's calendar and get summer trips on your radar and get all those different things and just get to know you better. So put that on your calendar. So one of the things that I do want to share as I get to know you, I've been here like still under four months, which is not very long. But one of the things I want you to know is that I'm a big sissy boy. Okay? I just am. I'm a big sissy boy. One of the things that is terrifying to me, okay, and you're going to be like, oh, I bet he doesn't like to skydive. It's like, no, I don't like to swim. Okay? Like, I'll go in a swimming pool, and it wasn't until 21 that I even learned how to not drown. I wouldn't even call it what I do is called swimming. I learned that, hey, I can kind of paddle around and not drown and actually enjoy a swimming pool for once, okay? But it started like I went with my cousins one time to a water park, and I went down a water slide and never again. It was the most terrifying experience I've ever had, and I will never do it again. Or people are like, oh, but you can, you can go out and go water skiing. Why would I want to go fast to drowning? Like, why, like, what? I remember I helped out with a fundraiser, some, some very good friends, and it was on a dock at a boat, and I had to hand people stuff as they pulled up with their boat, and people would come up, and the boat would, you know, the, you, got, you got to get that dock balance, right? No, I did not have it. I really thought I was going to fall in the lake, and I definitely said something I shouldn't said in front of some kids who were in that boat, because I thought I was going down. But anyways, I've just, I've always been kind of like, just kind of a, a, a sissy boy about stuff. Like no roller coasters. I don't like to ride motorcycles. I don't like to do all those different things. I'm kind of a big sissy. Well, this goes all the way back to even growing up. I was probably more of a sissy then. And I had this time where um, my youth ministry that I grew up in, we were going to go on a canoe trip. Okay. Now. You can see where this is going, okay? I'm alive, so anyways, but we're going on a canoe trip, and I'm like, well, my friends are going, I gotta go, I gotta, we're gonna go camping, I'm okay with that. I don't know why you would choose to sleep on the ground when you have like an air-conditioned room with a fan and a pillow and a blanket, but let's go, let's go sleep outside and wake up with our wet socks. Anyways, but that's, that's beside the story. I want to go with my friends, want to go hang out, want to go camping, so we go camp, and we go to this canoe, and I'm like, I'm, I'm starting to get scared, because it's like, all right, I, I got to get in this river, and I got a canoe, and we're not whitewater rafting. I mean, we're in what's called in Indiana the Little Blue River, which is like in Central. I mean, the water's like this deep, like the canoe almost touches the bottom, but I'm terrified because I don't like boating. I don't like water. I don't like my head underwater, so we get out, and we, we go, and I'm in this, this canoe with this leader named Dan. And I knew, I've known Dan my entire life. He was friends with my siblings growing up when they grew up in high school together. Known Dan a long time. And so Dan gets in the boat with me. And 
No one told me that there's bugs on the river, okay? So I'm sweating, I'm nervous I'm going to drown, and now I'm sitting in a boat, and all of a sudden these bugs are like all over my face. And I'm so frustrated. I'm like, whoa, I'm going to drown today. The bugs are going to eat me to death. I don't want to be here. It's hot. I don't think I have sunscreen. I'm getting sunburned. I didn't get good sleep because I'm on the ground just being this whiny kid at this point. I'm so whiny. And I remember just, just Dan, I don't want to be. There's no fun. And I remember just whining to Dan so much. But Dan stood there, and he just kept coming. Man, come on, come on. Like, you got this. You got this. You got, like, and I just remember having, like, the, the start of that was, like, one of the worst times I remember. And I remember being so frustrated, and I wanted to be anywhere else but in that moment. So I tell you that because I don't know about you, but I think a lot of us, in this room as adults, we have a fear, maybe it's not of water, maybe you're like me and like, yeah, water, it's scary, but we have a fear, I believe, of working with what we're going to call the next generation for today. Not the perfect example, how I want to call it, but, but, but a child when they're born through when they graduate high school, we're going to refer to them as the next generation, we have this fear about that. We think that all these different things, or maybe you have this perception, here's what I know, and I want, I want it to be like super clear on this. You're going to hear this a lot from me. Is I truly believe that we need to look at how Jesus and the Bible define our kids, not how social media and school buses and schools define our kids. And we need to start looking at them that way instead of what the world says about our kids and our community. We got to start looking what Jesus says about our kids. Okay. And when we can start doing that, it will knock down the fears. And so here are some things I want to tell you today. I have three myths that I'm going to give you. These are absolute myths. I've been in youth ministry for 16 years, and these are things that people believe, myself included at times. We believe in these myths, and so I'm going to go through these, and my goal is to get rid of these myths in your mind. The first myth number one for today, myth number one, is you have to be cool to work with the next generation. That's what people think. People think, well, I've got to be cool. I can't relate. I don't know what they're I don't know what the music they're listening to. I don't know what video games they're playing. I don't, I don't understand what they're, what they're thinking. I don't know why they are the way they are. And I remember buying into this myth. In early days of youth ministry, we would go to camp. And me and I say we, me and a group of buddies did 10 years of middle school camp together in Illinois. And I remember the early days when we were all young. It was like, oh, let's get on the diving board. Not me. <laughs> we already talked about that. Let's, we're going to move past. But not me, but like, let's get on the diving board and have all the kids cheer on the youth minister or the leaders. And yeah. And, or it's like, oh, let's, let's shave our head and do crazy stuff and eat stuff and, and like try to be like kids. And as I got older and as my friends got older, we started to notice guys like Jonathan. And we're doing all this crazy stuff in front of everybody and getting all this applause and people are laughing. I can't believe Brandon did that. I can't, can't believe my other friend. You guys, are, you guys are so much fun. And we noticed that there were guys like Jonathan. And I say guys because there's lots of guys, lots of ladies, lots of people like this at camps where he didn't do all the crazy stuff. He wasn't the one trying to get applause. He wasn't the one trying to get attention. He wasn't eating anything weird. He wasn't shaving his head. But what we noticed it's that week in middle school camp, he walked alongside his group of boys. 
And we noticed in that week of camp that he would always be at their bunks praying for them before they went to bed. And we noticed that week of camp, we very rarely had interaction with Jonathan unless he had a question about something. Because for that whole week of camp, Jonathan would walk alongside his boys and teach them about Jesus and love them and listen and point them to that. And at the end of the week, he's in the swimming pool baptizing those students because they got to know Jesus through what Jonathan showed them that week. Jonathan was not cool. Jonathan was full of Jesus, and he saw these boys as an opportunity to share with them about their life and listen and point them out. If you look back and think about the people who have impacted your life, and you think about the people who have really invested in you, it probably has little to do with them being cool or relevant. My grandparents, they were in their 70s when I was born. They did not understand me when it came to what video games I was playing or what music I was listening to, but they absolutely pointed me to Jesus by how they loved me and how they treated me, and I saw him living in their life every single day, and they had an impact, and it had nothing to do with them being cool. Myth number one, you have to be cool. Let's get rid of that. Myth number two, we think we need to talk more than listen. Sometimes the best thing, if you're going to impact the next generation, it's just to listen. A lot of times we think, well, we got we to gotta tell them what to do. We got to teach them this. There are times for that, of course. And this is all in addition to what parents are doing and what parents are like. As a church, when we partner with people, our job is to walk alongside with parents, not to be the parents, to encourage families, not to be the families, and to see how can we best partner with what's happening in their life. Because parents, at the end of the day, you guys are going to have the biggest role when it comes to developing your kids. But as far as a church partnership, Man, we got to start listening to our next generation of kids instead of talking to them and telling them how they should be. We need to start listening to their stories, letting them bring their concerns, let them bring their doubts, let them bring their frustrations. We've got to start doing that, church. We've got to start listening instead of speaking. Myth number three, you do not have the patience. I hear that all the time. Brandon, I don't, I don't know how you have the patience to work with students. I don't know how the children's minister, I don't know how they have the patience. I don't believe that it's a lack of patience in us. I think it's a lack of vision in us. And here's what I mean. When I was driving, I lived right on the other side in New Albany, Indiana. And my vision for when I drive here and drove here this morning is I want clear roads. I don't want to be ran over by a semi. I don't want someone giving me a gesture in their window. I don't want someone passing me at 90 and then come up someone going 20. That's not my vision. That's not my vision of how I want to drive to church today. Like, like, like it drives me nuts. And so I become impatient. And I'm like, why is that person driving there? They didn't even use their turn signal. They didn't do this. And we get impatient because we lack the vision. Here's a change of vision that I want everyone to be like really clear on. And I've got a Bible story that I hope will change your life today. But I want us to be so clear on this. There's different ways to look at ministry to our next generation. And if you think about Heather, who's up there, who works for early childhood kids, you may think, oh, my goodness, I don't have the patience for twos and three-year-olds. Because, oh, my goodness, they're either, they're either puking or they're either pooping or they're either crying or they're either in a bad mood or they're in a laughing mood or they won't be quiet. Or they won't not participate, right? We think all these different things and all these different ideas, and we think, I do not have the patience for this. You can look at next-gen ministry that way if you want to. 
Or you can look at it as you have an opportunity to point kids to Jesus in one of the most absolute vital times in their life. And by how you start acting towards them and treating them and loving them when they're at church, that's so important as they develop and learn who they are in Jesus. What's your vision? What's our vision? How do we view kids? How do we do different things? There's a story in the Bible in Acts chapter 6 that I absolutely love when it talks about the next generation. And we're going to start in verse 1. But as we start jumping in, I want to give you some background. Acts in the Bible is a book about like the very first groups of people who are meeting after Jesus was done with his ministry. And Jesus left the church in the hands of his disciples and later a guy named Paul. And he's, he's left them... Um, he's left the church in their hands, and they are going around starting churches and being Jesus to people and telling people and spreading the word. But here's what happens. But as the believers, the church, verse 1, chapter 6, multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, the disciples, called a meeting of the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men, don't miss this, who are well respected and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility, then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Verse 5, it says, everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. And then list these guys, and this is so important. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Pecorus, Nicanor, Timon, Paramius, Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. Here's all I want you to think about in this moment. The disciples in this moment are preaching the gospel, yes. But they're investing so much in the next generation that automatically when a need came up, they knew about these seven younger guys. They knew about these seven guys who were so full of the spirit because they've walked with them, because they've listened to them. They didn't believe the myths, the things said about teenagers. They didn't believe the myths, that things the world taught them about kids. And they started to walk with them. And they knew such as seven guys because they walked with them and invested in them. And they saw an opportunity. Now, I don't know if it worked like DoorDash, or I don't know if it worked like ClickList. I don't know how that is. But whatever it is, they blessed those guys, and those guys started feeding the people. Because here's the deal. In those days, if you were a widow, in that culture, it wasn't right. This is how it was then. In that culture, you probably didn't own anything. You probably didn't have a job. You probably had very little access to things. And the church stepped in and said, I want to be a part of this. And the church stepped in and said, we're going to empower this next generation of men to come in and take over this thing. Because here's the deal. The gospel, when we love people in the gospel, is powerful if you're two or if you're 200. And they believe that this next group of men, it was their turn to take the reins of something awesome. And here's what happens. The very last verse in chapter 7 says, So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Now verse 8. Stephen, one of the chosen six. If you know the story of Stephen, if you've been around church, Stephen is the first person to die for his faith. And here's what I love. In one moment, Stephen is doing DoorDash for widows, but he's doing it so much 
that he starts spreading the word of God. And he starts preaching to people. And he starts loving people about how he's doing it. The very next verse, Stephen was doing DoorDash and ClickList so well, he ended up telling other people about Jesus. And he ended up spreading the word about Jesus. And people were coming in droves to hear about the good news of Jesus. That doesn't happen if the older guys hadn't handed the younger guys the reins. That doesn't happen if you don't have people who believe in the next generation. If we don't hand them opportunities to be part of the church now, and we don't empower our kids and empower our students and let them know how much they're loved and how much they're a part of this church today, we're not waiting for them to turn 25, then they get to be part of the church. Our kids are part of our church, our living, breathing body of Jesus right now. And we've got to find opportunities like this where we say, here's the reins. Here you go. Look to do ministry. And what happens is Stephen takes a hold of that vision as a young man and starts preaching so much that those who opposed Jesus had to kill him because they couldn't handle it by how many people were learning about Jesus. That doesn't happen if you and I don't invest in the next generation. If we don't find our seven, if we don't find our few and start investing and showing them and letting them run with it because God wants to do amazing things in their life. So I want to give you some truths. I gave you some myths. I want to give you some truth. Truth one, point the next generation to Jesus, not be Jesus. You and I are going to mess up. A lot of people, I, t- I talk with leaders, I've talked to leaders for years. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if my faith is, is strong enough to like lead, you know, to like be Jesus. Like, no, you're not called to be Jesus. Our life should be a big arrow pointing to Jesus. You and I will make mistakes. We're going to mess up. We're sinful people. But when we tell kids about Jesus, they see that he becomes their hero, not us. See, when you work with students, you work with children. However it works, maybe you have opportunities to work together like Mary and Phil. But most likely, the opportunities you have are very short in that child's life or that student's life compared to the big picture. And if all we do is pull them to ourselves and make us the hero at the expense of their relationship with Jesus, they fail. And so the more we can point them to Jesus and the more that Jesus becomes their hero and as they transition to different things and they see that they're a part of this church and they see that I have stake in the game when it comes to this ministry and what's happening at Fairdale and the local church, they start to come into and say, hey, I want to be a part of that. And I've seen it, and I preach it, and I truly believe it. Our role is to share the good news and make Jesus the hero, not us. Truth number two. I get passionate, so passionate about this. Students and children aren't the nuisance to society that I believe our culture thinks it is. Their sons and daughters are the most high king. And 
going to be start seeing them as sons and daughters of the Most High King and treating them like royalty. And we change our minds and we change our vision and we start seeing every child as a creation by God who put them in their family to do amazing things, to be the Stevens and be the people who serve in their local church. You and I will absolutely see them in the world, but you and I have to change our vision and believe in this truth that they are princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. And God is ready to do great things. They are not half humans. They are fully created humans. They are ready to take a hold of what God has for them. And when you and I start treating them like sons and daughters of the Most High King, we're going to see them do amazing things. But if we don't hand that to them, and we don't empower that in them, and we don't love them, and we don't treat them that way, They're not going to see that they're so valuable in the eyes of God. It doesn't matter what their school says. It doesn't matter what the neighborhood kids say, that they are loved by their creator. And they're loved by that. And so if you're a student in this room today, I want you to know so much. If you're a parent in this room today, your child, no matter how their quirks are, no matter what their strengths are, they are sons and daughters of the Most High King. And our job is to raise them up in this next generation pointing them to Jesus for they can take hold of the church and spread the news of the gospel of Jesus. Told you I'm passionate about that. And lastly, they will change your life. I've seen student after student take a hold of the gospel, students that by no means had a fair shake in life, but they learn about the gospel of Jesus. And you see them start to do things, and you start to become better and trust Jesus because you see God at work in their life. And when you see questions, and you see their thoughts, and you see their concerns, and you start to develop a relationship with that kid, with that child, with that student, whatever age it is, in whatever capacity that looks like. They will absolutely change your life and point you to Jesus. Back to the boat. Dan and I are in the canoe. Worst trip ever, starting off. Dan's patient. And he listens. He says, I know you're frustrated. I know the bugs are irritating you. I know that you're deathly afraid of water. <laughs> Just my point. But he stuck with me in the boat. And by the time we got in the first mile, he showed me how to paddle. And he kept encouraging me. And by the end of it, I was all over the canoes. I was jumping in the water. I was doing all these different things. Because I had a trusted adult not give up on me. And I had this guy named Dan who was not cool. He was, I loved him. But I had this guy who said, you know what, I'm staying in the boat. Church, my invitation, I'm not trying to get up here and say we have these needs for volunteers and to guilt trip you into serving or anything like that. I just want you to start changing our mindset. Us as adults who get stuck in our ways and we believe things about kids and we believe things about students, I want us to just start changing our mindset. But I want to challenge you, it's time to get in the boat. time to get in the boat some of you seasoned people in here retirees here's what my here's my here's my ask for you I know a lot of people you're like well I'm not gonna work with students can't do that kind of thing 
If you're someone who's walking with Jesus and you pray every day, what's it look like when a baby is born in our church and you get their name and you pray for them every day for 18 years? You don't think that God's going to bless that person? If we truly believe in the power of prayer, man, what's it look like if that's your partnership? Hey, give me a group of children's names. I can't volunteer. I can't do this. I won't be doing this. But let me pray for them every day. Folks, we have the most powerful being that created this world that gives us what we ask and loves us and is ready to bless us and has angel armies at our disposal at any given moment. What happens when we have a group of church people that calls upon the power of God to bless our students and bless our children and start calling them into what God has for them? That's my ask. You can pray. I know that you pray. If you're someone who's followed Jesus for a long time, I know that you pray. And I ask you to pray for our students, and I ask you to pray for our children. For the rest of you, all I ask, or all our children ministry ask, let's have a conversation. We're not going to ask you to get up in front of a stage and teach. We're not going to ask you to do it. All we're asking is for a conversation. Say, hey, Brandon, how can, how can I partner with that? How can I change my view from diapers and puke and crying kids to empowering the next generation by pointing them to Jesus. That's all we're asking today. Is let's have a conversation about how you can make sure that happens and how they can step into what God has for them. Let me pray and then we can get out of here. God, we come before you and we praise you from the bottom of our hearts for our children. And God, I pray that we no longer see kids as their problem or their ministry or that, but those are our kids, and those are our kids in the community, those are our children, those are our teenagers. And God, as we look for ways about how you want to do amazing things in their life, God, I pray that there are adults in this room who jump on board in whatever capacity you put on their heart. God, we praise you for the opportunity we have to point your kids towards you and get out of the way. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.